0: That beautiful, thank you guys for for leading us uh, in that and it 's nice to to have the the mics up there so they don 't have to hold mics so they can lead us in the clapping because I always felt like I was the clapping leader, and I was like i 'm just <laughs> rhythm is not in my skill set, so it 's nice to have some actual rhythmic people up there uh, helping helping with that. I also want to to say to um, <clears throat> Uh, welcome back to Andrea and Charlie who are here. They've had a lot of like, health concerns. We've been praying for you guys, so we're so glad that you're here. They also mentioned that they just celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary, so that is awesome. <laughs> congratulations, congratulations uh, to, to you guys. That's, that's fantastic. We're continuing our series in First John, which will close in, in just a couple weeks, and uh, this morning we're going to look at, at a passage that I think is one that, honestly, you could wake up every single morning and read it and try to then live from it, and it would challenge you every single day, perhaps. So 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, I just wanted to narrow down on this one. This one is probably my favorite passage in 1 John. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Let's read that once together. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Like I said, you could try to live that one out every single day forever and probably fail more times than you succeed because it's easy for us as as life gets in the way, as things get difficult to respond from fear, to react and to allow fear to be the thing that grips us. I was just talking with Jamie Howard literally right before service. You don't know Jamie. Jamie's awesome and he's a teacher and he said he has uh, one kid in his class, this is like a weekend to class, he's like already been punched like four times and kicked a few times by This kid. He said the rest of the class is angels. Whenever he gets sent to the principal's office, it's an amazing class. But that one kid is very stressful, it's very exhausting, it's hard for him to, to work with that kid. And we all have different levels of that kid in whatever it is that we do. You know, there's somebody who can really frustrate you uh, in your office. Hopefully you're not dealing with kicking and punching, but whatever it is that's happening. And that's why I think it's so important for us to come together every single week to once again center ourselves on who God is. So then we can remember that, hopefully, throughout the week. Because it's challenging to really live out this passage, right? There's no fear in love. When it comes to this, I think we can often get into a perspective that isn't all that helpful. We have the word that's used here is phobia, and it's the word obvious we get phobia from, and you have different things that you're afraid of. Maybe you're afraid of heights, or afraid of spiders, or snakes, or whatever it is that you happen uh, to be afraid of. But outside of just those like weird things that you might be afraid of more than the average person, we can easy, easily just, just live from a certain sense of anxiety. And I think one of the things we can tell ourselves is this right here. Uh, we can say, go ahead, Simon, to the next slide. I won't be afraid anymore when I get... Now, once I get to whatever it is that I'm, you know, I've been working really hard to get towards, but like once I get, fill in the blank. And whatever that happens to be for you, once I find a spouse... Or once I get that promotion, once I find a job, once I'm able to buy a house. Whatever it is, we have these things and we say, all right, I'm going to just be better and God, like just hold me accountable to this one, but I'm going to like figure this out and once I get fill in the blank, then I'm going to be good. What is that for you? You don't have to say it out loud because it's getting pretty deep, pretty quick in here. What is that for you? I remember as as a young man, I graduated from Pepperdine University, and I really wanted to do youth ministry at that time, and so I interviewed for about four different youth ministry jobs, and I didn't get any of them, and part of the reason was I was single, and I would go to these churches, and they would ask me, they were very upfront about this, they said, well, we're afraid you're going to date one of our youth group girls. And I was like, well, I can't guarantee that I won't. I don't know, I don't know how to answer that, that question. It seems like a losing proposition. And I said, that that's really not my intention. And just, I would say, I actually formed a pretty good answer. I would say, well, just look, talk to my references and stuff. I think I'm a person of good character. And even married people can get into some trouble. So, like, let's be honest about that. So I felt like eventually after hearing it so many times, I had a pretty good answer for it. But it was so frustrating. And I remember just thinking to myself, God, just give me a wife, and then I'm good, right? And like everything, everything's going to be figured out, and I, God, I, especially because I really want to do this for you. You know, I'm trying to, to like figure this out. I want to do ministry, and this seems to be getting in my way. I, I, God, if you just, now was I fill in the blank, like once I get that, then I'm not going to complain anymore, then I'm not going to be afraid anymore. Like that's just it for me. This church actually hired me when I was still single. And ironically, the first like, major event that we had is where I met my wife. So you guys made, made a mistake in hiring me single, perhaps. But then you end up in this position and then you get the wife or you get the house or you get the promotion. And then it's just on to the next thing, right? And that doesn't mean you shouldn't strive for things, that doesn't mean you should work hard or maybe have some goals or some things that you want to accomplish, some things that you feel like God is is calling you to, but I think the greatest lie you can tell yourself is, once I get there, then I'm just not going to be afraid anymore. What Scripture wants us to understand is that even as you're journeying towards these things, as you perhaps haven't even arrived or you're nowhere close to that destination, you can walk in love, that you are loved by God even though you don't have that thing yet. And that should change how you live, how you love people, who you are in the world. What's great about this passage is that it tells us that we can always begin again from love. That there's some fear and anxiety about whatever thing that you're currently like struggling with. There's some issues there. And maybe this week was just your dark point. You got like to the lowest of the low and it's in a really dangerous place. And you're really wondering, can I even face this again? I mean, is this even going to happen again? And the good news for that is the answer is yes. That if you're at your lowest point, love can define you moving forward. And don't let fears about your past failures continue to define you. There is no fear in love. So go ahead, begin again. And we see that in some great biblical characters over and over again. David is a perfect example. Sees someone else's wife, thinks she's pretty fine, and then goes and uh, ends up in a messy situation, kills her husband because it's just better, like uh, to just bury the body basically. Let's get on with this. And hopefully, none of you did that this week. Like, maybe you had some low weeks, but I mean, like, hopefully, hopefully that didn't happen. But what's great then is Nathan comes to him, a prophet, and says, let me tell you a story, David, which is always an easy way. That's what Jesus does. He like, tells the story and then like, the, the story gets in there and he basically says, well, imagine you know, there's a really rich person who has all, all these lambs and uh, that really rich person, someone comes to him and, and wants some food and there's a poor person with just one lamb and the rich guy goes and he kills the, the one lamb of the poor person. At the end of the story, David is irate. He's so mad. He says, I can't believe it. That person is not doing what they should do, or that is not how they should live. And Nathan turns it on him and says, you are the man. And not in the way that we do it. Like, you're the man, and not that way. Like, you are the man. And what's great about that passage, I would encourage you to, to read it, Again, in 2 Samuel, verses 12-1, it says, The Lord sent Nathan to David. God sends sometimes people to us. And God sends Nathan to David at an extremely low, broken level. And David might not even realize how broken it is because he's kind of caught up in covering up all the lies and caught up in this situation. But it says the Lord sent Nathan that if you are at your lowest point, you can begin again. Because the opportunity is always love. And there is no fear in love. The way that we're loved perfectly by God, it casts out fear. So if you are at your lowest point, praise God, you can begin again. And for some of you, that's all the sermon that you need to hear, but that might be awkward to walk out right now because they'd be like, whoa, I guess he's at a low point. But just listen to the rest. But if you're at a low point, you can begin again. That passage is great. At his lowest point, God sends Nathan to David. And I think oftentimes, though there are those moments when we're really low, hopefully the majority of us, or most of the time in, in a better season. Perhaps you're in a season of success where you feel like things are, are pretty good. You know, life seems to be going all right. There might not even be an area in your life that you can identify that you super need to improve. And that's wonderful. That, that's awesome. But that doesn't let you off the hook either. Because oftentimes, we can start to define ourselves by our successes and not by the love of God. We can start to define ourselves by those things that perhaps have made us successful instead of beginning again. This is a helpful illustration of this, I think, is with something that was super popular several years ago. Go ahead and throw the picture up for me. Blockbuster video. There we go, right? You remember Friday nights at Blockbuster? You know, you used to, that was the thing, right? You'd get your bags of microwave popcorn and you walk down to the Blockbuster and pick out the movie. And those things on a Friday night or Saturday, it was popping, right? There was lots of, of people in there, everybody uh, going uh, in and out. It was just a, a fun thing to do. When I was in Abilene, we had a movie store and we decided to do a movie night called Bad Movie Night where we went to the video store and picked the worst movie we could find. The one that I found was Rodents with a Z, with like a big rat on the box, and the movie, you could pretty much write the script without knowing anything more, that basically, you know, a bunch of rats, some weird stuff gets onto them, and they start killing everything in their path. The movie starts with about 10 people, only two people survive. That's pretty much what happens um, in Rodents, sorry to spoil it for you, but uh, we... Did that on a Friday night. That was, that was a fun Friday night. And we went to turn rodents in the next Monday, and they said, no one has rented that in eight years, so you can just have it. So <laughs> it's one of the only DVDs that I own, so I'm pretty pretty proud of it. But that was the kind of thing that we would do. You know, you do that, do that on a Friday night, and it was just like everybody was, was doing that. That was how we, we lived. In, in 2004, which by my math was 14 years ago, uh, which is not that long, Blockbuster, which is just one of the movie chains, had 60,000 employees, 9,000 stores, $6 billion in revenue, 8 million, $800 million, 800 million was received in late fees. In the early 2000s, a company, a very small company called Netflix, came to them and said, hey, we have this different idea about mailing movies to people. And Blockbuster said, oh, whatever. That's never going to work. Like, it's never going to be that significant. Just go back to your little thing. We'll go ahead and just keep doing exactly what we're doing. A couple years later, Netflix comes back to them and says, hey, in our test markets, it's going, like, really well. Uh, You might want to consider partnering with us. You have... The, the DVDs that we could use so we don't have to go out and get all that stuff. You have some of the, the setup that we might be able to use. But one idea that we have of this is that we're not going to charge late fees. And Blockbuster was like, no late fees. Are you kidding me? That makes us $800 million a year. Like, get, get away. You have no idea what you're talking about. And fast forward to 2018, this is the only Blockbuster store left standing. In Bend, Oregon, and it's there more nostalgically than anything else. People go and take pictures in front of it, um, and (laughs) they do still rent videos and and DVDs, but it's basically there more for nostalgia than anything else. And I think the problem with Blockbuster uh, is a problem that we often can have. How many of you have a Netflix subscription in here? Wow, see, that's a lot. And Blockbuster didn't believe it. I think the issue with with Blockbuster, among others perhaps, is that they lost their mission. They were supposed to be about home entertainment, but they got connected to like the physical DVDs and the VHSs and the 9,000 stores. Instead of thinking about, okay, how can I create an entertaining Friday night for the average working person. They got connected with the things that they had and the ways that their business was structured. And Netflix comes with this this totally new idea and they say, no, 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 we're we're focused on the the late fees, we're focused on the, the VHSs, we're focused on the stuff that we have. As Christians we should be focused on our mission ultimately of glorifying God with our lives. Of being an example of Christ in the world and in the community that we live in. And unfortunately, sometimes what can get in the way of that is our past successes, the things that we've done that have honored God before. And we might be continuing to do those things because we're just kind of comfortable there. And would you really be willing to say, all right, like, God, I'm just going to pray this week, God, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to be? And I'm not going to define myself by my past successes. God, where is your spirit leading me in this moment? Because oftentimes our successes can be the things that we're kind of afraid to let go of, that we're afraid to release, It's our success side that we can say, I'm just too afraid. I'm not going to take that step because there's some fear there. And God keeps inviting us forward and says, there's no fear in love. There's no fear in love. And you think, well, if I just did that and said, God, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to be? What would that look like? That's terrifying. That's scary. I'd have to pray a lot more. Awesome. I'd have to start like relying on you again. Awesome. I'd have to like not just focus on whatever was was good or what happened before. Awesome. Whether you are in a terrible, difficult season of life and you need a Nathan in your life to come to you and wake you up or you just need to to start changing in some stuff or whether you're in a successful season, God says, please begin again and begin in love. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to take you down a really easy or joyous road. Hebrews 12 says this about Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Now, it doesn't mean that everything's going to be easy for you because sometimes it's going to take some difficult times to walk in in a commitment to God. Sometimes there's going to be some trial and error there where you try something and it doesn't really work and so you're going to try something else, but you are trying to understand what God is calling you to and who God is calling you to be in a given season. But wherever it is, whatever it is perhaps that you need to begin again, begin with a reliance on God. Because if you're trying to do it in your own power, then it's probably not what God is calling you to. The start of Scripture says, in the beginning, God. When we think about what God might be calling us to begin again, the thing that we might need to step forward and the thing that we might need to walk in faith May we start that again with God. Because God is still with us. God is still powerful. God can reform our hearts. God can work in our midst. We sing the song from time to time, we're standing on holy ground. That's a, a wonderful song and it's really powerful when we sing it together. But what's holy about Sunday morning and us worshiping is something that's really special. It's us coming together and reminding ourselves of who God is. But this hour on Sunday morning is not the only holy time of the week. What we do when we gather is it's not just a time where we see God and then we just kind of go about our lives. We gather so then we can see God everywhere else. and We can recognize that the conversations that you have amongst your coworkers, the way that you act among your neighbors, the ways that you're generous with your time and your money with people, that stuff is holy and sacred. Every conversation you have with someone is special. Every time that you're in a moment with somebody else, you have the opportunity to bless them deeply. We talked in our class this morning on, on shame about the fact that vulnerability is really important among people. That it's generally the people who you are vulnerable with that you would consider your friends. But vulnerability is increasingly difficult. And social scientists have studied conversations and they say that it's seven minutes into a conversation that you get vulnerable with somebody. So seven minutes, which, how many seven minute conversations have you had with people this week? And the problem is, they say that the clock starts over every time you look at your phone. Because it's a way of saying, I don't really care that much about what you're saying. What would it look like for you to just realize that the people that you're talking with, you have sacred opportunities. You have the chance to bring glory to God in those moments. And as we start, literally... I mean, we could start right now, we could just stop service right now, and you could walk out right now, and you have the opportunity to begin again, praise God. And whether you've had a really great season these last few months or it's been really terrible, you have the ability to begin again and just recenter yourself on that passage. There is no fear in love. And John, First John tells us God is love. There is no fear in love. In love. So as you live, it's about a certain sort of, of posture in your heart that you don't just react every time something comes in your way, that you instead have a, a different sort of being and you're living from a different place. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. When we think about what it looks like to, to walk with God and to leave this service and to try and be God's person in the world. We often can think of it as like a tightrope that we're walking on, right? That it's like, okay, the, God's will is that, you know, I go here, that I stay in this job. And then if, if I don't follow exactly on that path, I just fall and I'm burning in hell over here, right? And it's like that, that is the way that we can think about it. But I think God's will is way more about who we are than what we do. Of course, who we are then like, it has an effect on what we do and how we act in the world. But we can go and say, God, all right, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to continue in this profession or just change this or move to this city? And God probably looks at both opportunities and says, wow, I could use you both places. Wow, if you changed careers and you were somebody who was really passionate about following me in that place, if you thought, you know, this is holy ground that I am taking part of, wow, that would be awesome. You'd be an asset to the kingdom there. And you could do that too. Wow, that's awesome. That'd be amazing. We can think of it as this this tightrope that we're walking on, but I think it's way more about who we are and understanding that we don't live from fear. Which is about the most needed news, I think, in our world today. Because most of the news is filled with anxiety. That it's about who we are. We walk with a different perspective in the world. Jesus was asked 31 questions in the Gospels. You don't know how many of them he answered directly? Any guesses? Nobody wants to guess? Yeah, you don't want don't to guess? So scholars kind of debate this. Some say four, some say three. So we'll say three and a half, but round up to four. That's kind of what we would want, right? If we have like this direct question for Jesus. We want to say, all right, Jesus, you know, give me the answer to this question. And Jesus would be like, there's a man in a field far from here. He'd be like, come on, <laughs> you're killing me. So yeah, 13-ish percent of people got a pretty direct answer to their question. But it's likely, even through a lot of, of prayer and seeking answer, that you could be in the 87 percent that God basically would say, all right, I, I understand you're kind of wondering, like, should you, should you do this or that? Go walk in love. At every single moment, you have the opportunity to begin again. So what is it for you that you need to begin again? Maybe it's just simply saying, God, direct my life. God, I want a deeper sense of of your presence. I want to start this this relationship in a new direction. I I I want to spend more time in prayer. I want to spend more time in your word. I want to be a better dad. I want to be, be a better friend. And praise God, whether you've had a season of great success or not, you are called by God to begin again. To once again change your heart and your mind and to walk in love. I heard this quote in a sermon a few years ago. And I think it's, it's great. And what you've done with your life thus far, is it giving you what you want? Is it giving you what you want? Is there some part of you that's saying, hey, I was made for something greater. If you look at your life and you aren't getting what you want, you owe it to yourself to begin again, to start over. They say 85% of Americans do jobs that don't make them happy. If you're doing something for eight plus hours or more a day that isn't giving you fulfillment, you owe it to yourself to start to to strategically change directions. You know what most people do? Most people will resist change. Most people will fight change because they fear that change will be worse than what they're experiencing. Life isn't like that. It's not how you grow. You've got great potential in you. You have the love of God in you. We can begin again. And as we try to begin again, there's no fear in this moving forward. And it's often hard to begin again because of past failures. Like we think, well, I'm not even going to try to do that again because I've failed, you know, 15 times. Let go of that. Begin again. We're going to sing a song now, uh, Shout to the Lord, and Philip and the group can start getting, getting up on stage. This song is one that is popular. We've sung it for a long period of time. As we close uh, in in praise, I hope that you recognize the opportunity that you have to begin again. For you, maybe that's considering baptism, and I'd love to talk with you about that. It's a way that uh, you submit yourself to the love of God, that you say yes to the grace of Jesus. But for all of us, may we recognize that it's not about our power, It's about learning to lean into and rely on God. Because nobody wants to live a life that's defined by failure and regret without hope for a future. And also, you don't spiritually want to end at the end of your life holding up a bunch of VHS tapes. And say, God, I brought these all to heaven. God's like, we don't have a VCR here anymore. May we all recognize the opportunity that we have to begin again. And it's not because of ourselves, it's because of who God is. Let's stand and worship together and shout our praise to the Lord.